And it never occurred to me not to want to work with kids because uh, <laughs> adults just aren't as fun. That is a freaking fact. Yep. Um, kids, kids are cool. It's really fun to introduce a kid to something that they had never heard of before and watch their world expand right in front of you. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. In today's episode, I speak with Maggie Levine, who is the children's librarian. I should say one of the children's librarians for the Boston Public Library System. She works at their main campus and uh, is one of seven that work there. And this episode is so interesting because as I, as I mentioned right at the start of the interview, if you think about it, being a librarian is one of those jobs that it's like we all know, so we all might like brush it off like, oh yeah, I know, I know what a librarian does. But if you really think about it, like you don't know what a librarian does, you know, like what do they, like they're there for eight hours a day, nine hours a day, like what do they do all day long? What do they do all day? So today we finally find that out. Like what does a librarian actually do all day? And specifically a children's librarian, which is a little bit different from a usual librarian. And to me now sounds a lot more fun and a lot more awesome. Uh, Maggie's job is just so interesting. So um, without further ado, here is children's librarian. Maggie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start out with just what the heck does a librarian do? It's one of those jobs <laughs> where like everyone knows what a librarian is. So therefore, I think there might be this assumption that everyone knows what a librarian does. But if we think about it, like I think most people probably don't really have any idea like what the heck a librarian actually does. So what do you do? Yeah, um, a lot of people and seems like tend to think that we do spend a lot of our day reading. Um, which would be great if it was true, but it's not. Um, we spend our days um, doing programs, and we can talk about what that means, um, doing reference and reader's advisory interviews with users of the library, um, whether that's giving, giving book suggestions to them, um, helping them find information sources, uh, in the case of a Boston library, helping them get directions to different places in the city. It keeps us pretty busy. Uh, additionally, we spend a lot of our time um, planning what we're going to be doing in the library. And that would, would those also be programs? Like the first thing you said was doing programs. So you mean like the planning of those programs or there's other stuff you have to plan as well? Yeah. So when I say programs, um, that means anything that's happening in the children's library. and that includes a lot of uh, kind of the more traditional story time programs, um, which we do a lot of uh, for different ages, as well as kind of bringing in performers and um, other people um, that do programs ranging from family yoga to science programs to music lessons to drag queen story times. Um, 
all different kinds of things. That's just a really small example of um, the kinds of programs that happen. What is a drag queen story time? That sounds awesome. <laughs> Tell me all about it. It is pretty awesome. Um, we've been doing them for a couple of years now, uh, and that's bringing in drag performers to do story times for kids. Um, they've been happening uh, more and more across the country, um, and they're really, really fun. So it's we have uh, different performers come in in full drag, which, as you can imagine, um, isn't something that kids see every day for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a <laughs> it's a really great way to be introduced to the concept of drag queens and who they are, and the idea that um, it's okay and great to express yourself however you want. Um, so it usually ends with a lot of really great questions from kids. Um, with really kind explanations from the performers um, in a way that makes the topic kind of a, a, an easy introduction for kids. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's awesome. So you as the librarian, just so everyone knows, I'm sure I will have already mentioned this in the intro, but so you're the children's librarian for the Boston Public Library System. So are there more than one of you or, yes. or is it just like you at the children's library? So the Boston Public Library is a 25 branch system. And what that means is that we have the central branch in downtown Boston. And that's where I work. Uh, And there are 25, 24 branches across the city. Um, So each branch has a dedicated children's librarian that does the programs and those readers advisory questions that I mentioned earlier at that space. Okay. So for uh, their sort of like satellite campus, they handle the children's books at their own campus, but you handle it for kind of like the main campus. Yeah, I'm I'm one of a staff of um, seven dedicated children's library staff for the central branch. So we're a pretty big operation. Wow, that's so cool. So there's seven. <laughs> se- when you said seven at first, I was picturing seven for the whole central branch. You mean you mean seven only children librarian librarians for the central branch? Yes. So we have six librarians and one library assistant um, who all work entirely in the children's library. So we are all taking turns um, manning the desk to answer questions, doing programs, um, planning ahead, kind of being in meetings for partnerships with organizations, um, kind of in general managing the room. So you have a, a very young sounding voice, Maggie. Were yeah. you, I'm thinking about like how libraries would have changed over the last like 10 years uh, or at the very least from when you and I were children, like you actually had to check your book out with a librarian or, or, you know, whoever was working the desk at a library when we were kids nowadays, is that even a thing or can you kind of bypass most of that? People just like walk out and they scan their book and that's that. Uh, you can do both. Um, I'm thinking on it now. Uh, a reason that you or I may have had to do checkouts with librarians is that as kids, we're learning um, kind of behavioral standards. So part of library visits can be learning how to interact with other people in the library, learning how to respect boundaries and space, um, which this is actually something I'd thought about before, but uh, our teachers might have been interested in making sure that we were practicing how to be in public spaces. Uh, And so that's why Part of why um, you could be 
using a librarian to help with checkouts. Yeah, but that's we, great. <laughs> but we do have like self-checkouts and kind of there are different ways to make it um, easy as, as easy as possible for all kinds of people to do checkouts. Right. But so each one of the seven of you uh, had the same way that like a teacher has office hours for students to come in. Like each one of you has like desk time, basically, where you're sitting there in case someone does want to come and check out a book with you or they just have a question or whatever. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is that our children's library in the central branch is extremely busy. So at any given time, there's tons of kids and families in the room. Um, so, as well as kids coming in for the programs that are happening. Um, so you might have a hundred people just kind of hanging out, waiting for a program to start. And from that, you know, hundred people, there are going to be different questions going on. So you're, you're pretty constantly busy kind of taking care of different things as they occur. Right. Right. So what does a typical sort of week look like for you? Do you have is it like office hours where you have a specific day, a specific time where you're set to be at the desk? Or is it kind of like whoever can manage that on any day does it? And then what are the <laughs> other things that you're doing throughout a week? Yeah, um, we rely heavily on Google Calendar um, and Slack to keep things running. If if we weren't extremely organized about this, uh, it would fall apart pretty quickly, I imagine. Um, so we have kind of hour by hour scheduling where everyone knows where they're meant to be. So at any time that front desk is always staffed. Um, we always know who is preparing to do the next program, who's in a meeting, who's taking their lunch hour. Um, and that's a way that our department has found works best, um, just in terms of making sure that we can get the things that we need to do done. Um, so we do. We did, I think, about a thousand programs last year just in oh the children's library. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're busy. Uh, we do between three to five <laughs> programs a day during the week. That's, in, that's really crazy. That's incredible. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, we have a good time. It makes sense now why there would need to be seven of you. Like that, that's just so much. What are these meetings that you guys are doing? Like, are there meetings outside of like interdepartment meetings, like where you're meeting with the other children's librarians? Are you meeting with other other librarians from other areas? Are you meeting with other people from City Hall that like you know do budget things and stuff like that? Yeah, um, I mean, our department head tends to take care of budgeting, kind of more administrative stuff, and we're eternally grateful to her for that. Um, a lot of the programs that we offer, I think I mentioned before, are with outside organizations or people. So we might be meeting with the New England Aquarium. Um, we have a monthly visit from them where they come in to us and bring in kind of these traveling tide pools so that kids can see the some of the different animals that are at the aquarium and get a chance to touch them, to learn about them. Um, the aquarium, on its part, uh, hires high school kids who are interested in following a career working for the aquarium. So these kids are, are taught to teach our library visitors about what's happening at the aquarium. Um, so you just get all these kids coming in who are getting to touch horseshoe crabs, lobsters, although we recommend not touching the lobsters. They're kind of snappy. <laughs> um, but so that's kind of one example of 
the kind of organizations that we partner with to make the library a space to be introduced to the larger world. That makes sense. That's really cool. It's funny. Like I would say at least once a week, I, I think to myself, like, I should really look up what sorts of things are happening in my city for free like this week. <laughs> like like I live in a city like there's there's always like so many things that your city is doing for you and it's incredible hearing you say that it just just the children's library is doing a thousand different things and and yeah. like those things sound really cool too. Um it's just amazing the things that each one of us could just you know, do for free with ourselves or our family yeah. or whatever it is that we're just bypassing and not doing when we live in a city. Yeah. And speaking, you know, speaking only for our department, but we want to know what people want to do. Um, so we take comments really seriously. So if someone says, hey, we'd love to see, I, I don't know, um, this this program offered at the library, we really do our best to offer it. Um, which is really cool because sometimes that's a thing that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. Uh, sometimes it's knowing that something is, there is an interest in something that you didn't realize. Um, but the fact that we are able to provide that to people is um, a huge highlight of the job. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your background and what sort of people need to have as a librarian. I would like to know, um, what as a librarian, basically in order to be hired and everything, you are required to know? And then what is it that you're not required to know, but that's just kind of expected from you over time that you also know as well? Sure. So many libraries require, just in terms of educational background, uh, a master's in library and information science. Um, the reason I mentioned that first is because I think you mentioned I have a young voice. Um, I've been working at a library since I was about 25, and the first couple of years that I was there, uh, well-intentioned patrons um, who came in regularly would ask me, oh, it's so nice that you volunteer here. How do I get to volunteer here? Um, and it was kind of jarring because I don't volunteer. I'm, I'm a paid employee. Um, and I'm here 40 hours a week. So that'd be a lot of volunteering to do. Yeah. And you have a master's. Like, I learned <laughs> I about this from another. Yeah. yeah. I, I learned about that. Um, ironically enough, I had an episode of Half Hour Intern where I interviewed um, a gentleman who has schizophrenia. And we that's like the main thing that we talked about was him being a schizophrenic. But he is also a librarian. Um, and he, I can't remember if I, we kept this part in the interview or not, but anyways, we talked a bit about his like journey towards becoming a librarian. And I read this book that he wrote about that. And, and it was in that book that I learned about the whole entire process of like, you know, you pretty much absolutely have to have a master's and that's just like the standard to be a librarian that that's yeah. so interesting to me because there's not a lot of jobs period where it's the standard that you absolutely have to have a master's. And, um, I think that most people's uh, like you know, just like stereotyping or whatever is like you would hear like the job title children's librarian. You wouldn't think like, oh, you have to have a master's degree to be able to be a children's librarian, you know? Right. Uh, but but in fact, you do. Um, so, <laughs> right. so the next time you're at a library, you're you're talking to people who have gone to school to do this. Um, and that's why that hopefully they're able um, to provide you with uh, the resources that you might be looking for um, is because we trained to do this. So I was in school for about two years um, to get that degree. 
and started working at the library immediately after. Um, so that's kind of what I'm required to. Well, so let's know, let's uh, yeah, let's dig into that a little bit in terms of you're basically required to have this master's degree. So, what is it that you learn in the master's degree that people are sort of requiring of you? Because I, I, again, I think that's the thing that a lot of people would not really understand. Because today we have Google and, like I said, even like self checkout at the library and all this stuff. It's like, what are you like? What are they teaching in this master's degree um, that you need to know when you become a librarian? Yeah. So there's a lot of different tracks that you can take. I took a youth services track in grad school. So that meant I took a bunch of different classes, kind of um, information organization classes. So kind of learning how information is organized, which is kind of the, the meat and bones of library services. We understand how to organize the information so that we can get information to the people who want it. Um, A big part of what I did was learning about youth programming. So that's kind of how to provide best services for a youth population um, and the families that are bringing young users into the library. So those were two of the big things that I spent time on. Cool. Love it. Um, All right. So let's talk then about some of the things that sort of after you have spent a little bit of time on the job that you are expected to sort of have down as well and what what's just expected of you yeah uh so i think one of the first things is something that people uh think about immediately and that's being able to recommend reading material to kids Mm, and adults so if you ask me for uh you know i love um books about music and kids who don't fit in I should be able to recommend some books to you that will fit what you're looking for. Um, Is this solely like a time thing? Like this just requires time? Like, are you reading all all these books? (laughs) Uh, No, there's so many books published. Um, Keeping track of the literature is a part of the job as well. So there's journals um, that publish book reviews that we keep track of. So staying up to date with the literature is important. So um, different journals like Kirkus Reviews is the name of um, one organization. So they just, their job is publishing reviews of books. Uh, So what you do is look for um, review sites that provide um, information that you trust about what books might be worth looking into, what books are being published. Um, and, and that's really important because you don't want to be the person who's constantly recommending books that you read as a kid, right? Because those are old, um, for a kid that's born in 2005, which was a while ago at this point, if you recommend a book you read as a kid, that book is already super old to them and not, not as not necessarily as interesting as you totally think it is. you recommend some like nancy drew novel and nancy drew takes a photo she's got to go and get the film developed and like she's yeah. waiting for the film to get developed while she's trying to crack the case and the kids are just like what the hell is going on what is film what is this developing right. time <laughs> i mean another thing too to keep in mind when we're talking about books published a while ago is that um some of the topics can be a little bit weird looking back on and by weird i mean kind of iffy. Um, 
So you might find a book that you loved as a kid. You read it, you know what, like 30 years ago and you go back and read and go, oh, they've got some really um, off-putting ideas about race that were kind of thrown in under yeah. the radar. There. It's like, oh, this is like totally demeaning to women and I had no right. idea. Right, exactly. And you know, when you're a seven-year-old reading it, you don't necessarily understand that that's what's happening in a book. But as an adult and as a professional librarian, my job is to be aware of books that have that um, issue and be aware that there are other options to recommend to kids. Okay. And so, <laughs> Maggie, can we so, role play really quickly? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm looking for a book for my daughter. She is about five years old. She is really into uh, like mystery stories, like detectives and stuff like that. It, and she's like obsessed with cats. Are there any like cat detectives or things where detectives are trying to find cats or something? So there's a series. Um, this is the first thing that's coming to mind. Um, it's not about cats. It does have animal detectives. Uh, it's by Doreen Cronin. And it's kind of a, it's a mystery about starring chickens as kind of noir detectives. Um, it's really fun. And for a five-year-old who might not be reading on their own yet, this is a great way to practice reading with your kid, letting them get the chance to maybe sound out some words, do some reading together. Nice. Well, you passed be- your role play. I <laughs> apparently don't even know that five-year-olds can't read very well yet. So that's my bad. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, that would probably still be a you guys are reading together. <laughs> so uh, when I have kids, I'll be sure to try to remember that. Um, all right. So let's talk about some of these sort of strange aspects of your job that people wouldn't really think of, which so far has been almost everything like the planning, <laughs> like the, the drag reading day, like that's so cool. Um, I guess like something almost stranger to me is something that you glossed over in the beginning like you need to know the city well because of how often people ask for directions and stuff so like uh, i guess other things like that that just people would not associate with being a librarian at all but they just come up for you that you need to know yeah um i think if you had asked me six years ago when i was still in school and hadn't started working in the library um maggie how much time do you think you will spend thinking about stroller parking in your library where strollers get parked i would have looked at you kind of blankly and said i don't know a few minutes uh as it turns out we spend a large part of our time just kind of maintaining strollers in the space which is weird to think about um that's but, great. Have you guys thought about like <laughs> retrofitting some area to just be some like badass stroller parking now? So we um about two and a half years ago fully renovated the central branch. Um the the entire building, which is about a half a city block big. The library in general fits into a takes up a full city block. So we're a big space. Um and we renovated our children's library, moved it upstairs, doubled the size and built in a significant amount of space that was dedicated to stroller parking. Uh, Since then, I have come to believe it's some law of physics that no matter how big a space you make for strollers, there will always be more strollers than space available. Yeah, yeah. That's like Newton's third law, I think, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I didn't go to school for 
physics specifically, but I do think that this is something that they would mention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The third law of strollers. It's very prominent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioning the renovation makes me think uh, something I guess I kind of have always wondered is that as technology gets better, faster and faster and faster, I feel like I wouldn't really know what to do with a budget if I worked for any sort of like city hall or government related thing and I needed to uh, renovate because I feel like by the time, you know, let's say it takes two years for you to renovate your thing. By the time two years has passed, so many new technologies are out and then your stuff looks old again. And it's like, how do you keep up with that? And how do you decide like what to renovate and what not? Were you privy to any of those sorts of discussions when you guys were renovating the library? Yes. So, um, one of the great things about our renovation was how seriously the architects took, um, the input from library staff. Uh, one of the things I would say, if you are, um, a mayor in charge of renovating a library or any kind of city used space is investing in staff is kind of the number one thing that you can do because having experts and having enough experts working are makes the biggest difference. I think um, they're going to be able to tell you what kind of technology, what kind of supplies will be most useful for that space, and will be able to have an idea of how to design um, a physical space that will age well as technology and digital services continue to move forward. Mm, yeah, for sure. Did you get to learn a bunch of interesting new stuff then when you were speaking with these people? Um, so uh, our department head was the person kind of mostly involved in that process, which was about a year-long process. Um, so one of the things that kind of happened as a result was um, getting more computers available for kids, having a... what's what's called a smart table out on the floor that kind of is an interactive screen that kids can use um, and play with. Um, Having dedicated uh, early computers, they're called awe stations, and they're computers that aren't connected to the internet that have built-in games specifically designed to help um, children who are under five learn how to use computers. Mm. Um, so like what you and I think of as intuitive at this point, like, oh, follow the mouse, the mouse, when you click on that, you'll get to where you need to go, um, is a, is a learned behavior. So this provides kind of a, a little bit more durable station for a four-year-old to practice using a computer. Yeah, for sure. It's so funny hearing you say that because I've been playing video games basically like my entire life. And I, <laughs> it's hard for me to remember like what it was like when I was like four or three or whatever. And it's like I, I just assume like, oh, you see the game, let's say like Frogger, like a really basic game like Frogger. Like I need to get this frog to cross the road. I assume that that just like made sense to me at that age. But I recently um, bought a little like video game thing for my nephew, my sister's son. I think I got it for him when he was like three or something, and he did not know what the hell was going on, and like, no, therefore, no. I immediately got bored because, like, and, and, and I got, I was like so frustrated watching him because he's like tapping all the wrong areas on the screen, like he's going backwards, like doesn't know what's going on, and then he just like puts it down. He's like, that thing's dumb, and, you know, like he didn't say that, but that's like you know, that's the he action that he did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like this, Were you kind this, of like sitting on your hands, like oh, I want to help you do this, but 
Well, I remember. No, I was sitting on my hands. Mag, are you kidding? I was I was touching the screen like, no, no. See, like this is this is what you have to do. And this is why you have to do it. And he just looked at me kind of like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, old man. And he just like put it down and like walked away. And it was like, damn, like it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's not it's not as intuitive as you think to do something like like, oh, when you put a mouse cursor over something, that means that you're probably going to select it or or whatever. Like those things just don't click naturally for a kid. Yeah. And I mean, in that same vein of being a space to practice using technology, uh, I talked a little bit before about how we do a lot of story times for different ages. And apart from being exposed to songs, books, nursery rhymes, a big part of what happens is story time is learning about and being able to practice behavioral standards as well for kids. Um, So when you're two, you're not, unless you're being brought to be around kids, you're not necessarily going to understand rules for interacting with other people. Um, But in story time, when you're singing a song that has you moving between, you know, walking and running and stopping, which is one of the kind of songs that we can do, that's you getting a chance to practice hearing the word stop and doing it in a space that's safe um, and where the stakes aren't as high. Um, But if you're out, kind of on the street and you yell to a two-year-old stop, you want to make sure they're stopping, right? Right. So in story time, um, we get to sing songs about, you know, being kind, taking turns, all of that kind of um, mode of interacting with people that is pretty formative. Um, and that is something that everyone, I think, finds helpful the older you get. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I should say so. Um <laughs> All right, let's bring it back to more of your uh, your day to day jobs and everything. Uh, so, I would like to know how you decide what books to bring into the library to begin with, because there are a bazillion books written every year. So, how do you know what to bring in? Yeah, um, so using reviews of books is really helpful. If there's a book that across the board is getting great reviews, that's probably something we're going to want to have a copy of. Um, there are certain authors that are generally you want their works. Um, an example of that would be the author Jason Reynolds, who, if you've got um, a kid between the ages of like eight and 12 or even older, I totally recommend getting any of his books. Um, he recently published Miles Morales, so a novelization of the new Spider Man, which is awesome. Um, so anything that, you know, like Jason Reynolds writes is kind of an automatic purchase. Uh, part of what we do is maintaining the collection. So going through and seeing, hey, this is kind of a weird example, but like all of our space books still list Pluto as a planet. That's not accurate. We need to replace them. Yeah. So going through and kind of taking out those books, replacing them with books that have an accurate listing of what the planets are right now. And then in terms of quantities of books, is it like, the, the only books that get high quantities are books that are from like known authors and, and sort of like newer books and stuff, or you're always just going to get like one or two of those and see how they do. Yeah, we tend to do that because we try to um, make sure that our collection continues to reflect the diversity of the population of Boston and the world. Um, so we try to make sure that we're finding voices that aren't necessarily heard from as much. Um, so if you're getting a voice, I mean, today it's, today is Columbus Day when we're 
having this discussion, um, a lot of people have started celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. So if you're getting a book about a Native tribe, finding a book written by a member of a tribe um, to get kind of a more uh, a perspective from a person who has that experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, a, a lot of this conversation tends to happen um, on Twitter. Um, so if you're ever interested, kind of looking for the hashtag own voices can be a way of finding stories that are being told by people with that experience, which can be really helpful for having a collection that is more diverse and more accurately reflects populations. So this makes me think of the last question about what books to bring in and you saying that reviews are part of it. Are there any like all-star, like eight-year-old book reviewers and stuff that, that you guys need to follow? <laughs> or like, are you guys just reading reviews from adults? And it's like, well, who the hell are you? You're like a 40-year-old man trying to tell me what an sure. eight-year-old kid should read. <laughs> um, I, I can't think of any eight-year-old reviewers that I use other than, and I do mean this seriously, um, the kids at the library. If a kid comes in that we know and says, you've got to read this book. It's so good. Yeah, I'll give it a look. Um, but that's, you know, for books that are already published, right. purchased. Um, as far as I know, just kids age out so quickly and that, that would require so much work. Right. That I yeah. don't know of any kind of, um, I don't know of any sustainable reviewing sites that use kids that way but yeah. maybe they're and out there who are you how do you pay them you know <laughs> right like, it's the all child very labor difficult. laws come into question yeah totally so i would like to know what constitutes the children's section of the library so like how how old of a demographic will you serve up until more or less um and then how old of kids do you actually see coming in? Because I would have to imagine that you guys are planning to serve people under, let's say, like 17 years old. But realistically, it becomes like uncool to go to the children's library at a point before <laughs> that. So like what point does it become uncool for kids to you know, start being at the children's library? But what do you plan on serving up until? Yeah. So we have in our library um, a dedicated children's library and a dedicated teen space. So we actually go up to sixth grade or 12 years old. Um, after that, if you're a young person looking to hang out in the library, uh, we've got the teen room previews. So 13 to finishing high school, um, you'll kind of be headed over towards the teen room. Hmm. Uh, we do see in our branch a huge population of under fives. We just have a lot of, you know, young families. So we have, um, kind of like on, on Friday mornings, for example, we have our sing-along program. So we have two iterations of a half hour sing-along where we bring in outside performers and we get about 115 people in for each program. So we've got about, I mean, plus people who are just kind of in the library, 250 people in the room at a time. Um, they're all usually under two and a half years old. Plus they're adults. Oof. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a handful. So yeah, it's people can kind of come in and go, Oh wow, I thought libraries were quiet. Like, not this one, not not most children's libraries. Um so we see a lot of really young kids. Uh for our branch, we just we don't have a lot of elementary schools in the area, so we don't see as much heavy use 
um, as branches in Boston do. Okay. So gotcha. our, yeah. So our children's librarians who work all over the city, um, will see different groups of populations in at their own branches. So you might be at a branch that has 40 fourth graders just hanging out after school every day, um, coming in for getting homework help, which is a service we provide and a free homework help tutors. Um, so using the library as kind of a space where they can focus on their work or just hanging out with their friends in, um, in an environment where they can, they get to have a little bit of independence. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on which library you're in. Do you coordinate stuff with those other librarians and other locations and stuff, or do you uh, like operate pretty much just by yourselves? So our branch, our department, that, that group of seven people, we operate just as one department. Um, the library system of Boston has a youth services coordinator who kind of is responsible for that system-wide programming that you're asking about. Um, we have a couple of different librarians who, who do that kind of programming. Um, so what that can look like is partnering with an organization or finding an author. Um, a couple years ago, Matt De La Pena, who's a Newbery Award-winning author, um, came in and visited a couple of the different libraries. So th that entails is kind of figuring out when he's going to come in, planning how long he'll be there, how to get him across the city to that next library, who he's speaking with, bringing in the schools to come in and, and visit him, um, which is something that we try to do as much of as possible. Um, so that that's another part of the staffing that happens at the library. So it's kind of this behind the scenes work that the public doesn't necessarily see, um, but these are the people that are responsible for um, bringing those organizations across the city, using the library as a space for those programs to happen. Right, right. All right, Maggie, let's change gears a little bit and talk about you and your history and everything. So sure. I would love to know what made you want to become a librarian in general, and then what made you want to become a children's librarian? Sure. Uh, so I graduated from college in 2009. Uh, kind of right at the height of the recession where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, and there weren't a ton of jobs anyway um, for someone with an English degree and kind of a hazy focus. Uh, so I was living at home, just trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And I was waitressing um, and I found myself kind of engrossed in conversations with any of the kids that came in to eat, talking about what books they had recently read and making kind of impromptu recommendations and hadn't thought about it because I'm generally very much a people person kind of interested in talking with people that I come across um, until one day uh, someone eating at the restaurant kind of turned to me and said like, are you a librarian? Like, is that something you've ever thought about? And a light went off and I thought that makes total sense. I should be a librarian. Um, and from there, it was a pretty quick step to applying to grad school, um, moving from my hometown to Boston to start grad school. Um, and then a couple of years later, staying in Boston to work at the library. 
it's so in wonderful. In retrospect, like, it sounds like a really smooth journey. <laughs> I love that. Like, it's so wonderful the providence that opens up in our lives that, you know, makes these things happen. Like, I'm sure you've thought about many times, like, what if I just hadn't gone to work that day? Or like, what if that person hadn't been there? What if we, you know, like, it's just so strange, like the the minute details in our lives that change the course of absolutely everything. Yeah, timing is everything. Yeah, so much so. Um, so you never even thought about being anything other than a children's librarian. It was just immediately like, that's the one for me. Yeah, I've always worked. Um, I've, I've worked with kids, you know, like camp counselor kind of jobs. Um, in college, I worked as a writing tutor. So kind of still doing kind of a teaching role in some way. Um, and it never occurred to me not to want to work with kids because, <laughs> adults just aren't as fun that is a freaking fact yep um kids kids are cool it's really fun to introduce a kid to something that they had never heard of before and watch their world expand right in front of you um and that's something that we get to do every day and i can't imagine doing anything else so yeah it just never occurred to me not to work with kids that's so funny. I've, I've never <laughs> really thought about that before, but adults really are like so much more boring than kids are. That's, yeah, uh, you know, it's gotta like, be great. It's a little unfair to adults. Um, I know a ton of people who provide great programming for adults. Um, that's just, it's not my jam. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, what do you think the absolute best part about your job is, or did you basically just say it? <laughs> I think I might've said it. Um, one thing that I love, and this is kind of a seasonal thing, um, in the fall, part of what librarians do is go to classes, um, visit those kids, introduce the, what the library can do, and we get to do what are called book talks, which is where we just bring about 10 new books, books that we think they'll love, and kind of in quick succession, hype each one to that class. Um, and one of the most fun things about working in the library on the desk during the fall is when you get a kid coming in who you visited last week asking for that book that you recommended, which means that like you, you've got it, like you've got that book to them. Um, and that's just like super gratifying. I bet. That's so cool. Um, what, uh, what are the different jobs that somebody could have as a librarian? Like, so there's working as like a city librarian there's working for a university as a librarian. Are there other sort of not thought of paths that someone could take with that degree? Yeah, there's, there's many paths. Um, you could be a law librarian. Um, so a lot of those require both a JD and an MLS. Um, so that's a lot of degrees. Uh, you could work for a business library. Um, actually, a lot of people at my graduate program at Simmons College um, go kind of take the computer sciences route. So a lot of them have ended up going into um, like web development or kind of um, interface research. Um, I'm just kind of thinking of things people I know have done yeah or like, um, like big data and stuff like that because yeah, like you're so you that used to sifting through info yeah yeah um and and again like working with kids is can be draining um it requires a lot of face-to-face -face time and that's not something that 
is for everyone. Um, so you might go into cataloging, which can be a little bit more kind of behind the scenes work of making sure that your materials in the library are organized, um, which is vital to keeping the library going, but does require less like face-to-face -face time with the public. Man, I never considered before a law librarian, like talk about somebody that deserves a lot of credit. I, like, so yeah. are these people, what, keep track of different law related books? So if like a younger lawyer or any lawyer for that matter comes in and is like, is there something on the books relating to blah, blah, blah? And they give them a couple of details about their case. They're like, yes. And then they can yeah. point them in the right direction. Probably. And again, like this, this was not something that I went into at all. But um, yeah, so if you're doing like research for a legal case, having a law librarian who knows both the, intri the intricacies of law and resource searching, um, that's going to be like, you know, really helpful for whatever you're doing. Maggie, a lot of great ideas come up on this show. I'm saying <laughs> we got to go to Hollywood. We pitch the idea of a, uh, a reality TV show. They just follow the law librarian, you know, but then maybe could also in parallel follow whatever the case is, you know, to see like how this law librarian is impacting the cases and stuff like that. It would be great. Yeah. I don't know why it hasn't already happened. I know. What the heck? <laughs> um, there's actually, there's a really cool, this, this is not the kind of thing that happens a lot, but um, a few years back, uh, the band, the Grateful Dead hired a library, an archivist um, just to keep all of their shows. So like that person was in charge of just organizing the, you know, six year backlog of live Grateful Dead shows. Man, talk about knowing you've like made it as a band. That is awesome. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go ahead and start to finish this thing up, Maggie. Uh, for one, I would love to know if if it is really difficult to get a job as librarian, because I imagine it's the type of job. Well, A, there's like not a lot of them in any given city. And then B... I would imagine this turnover is like very slow. Like someone gets a job as a librarian and then they just stay there for like 40 years or something. It can be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, it worked out so well for me um, just in terms of like getting a job immediately upon graduation, but that's not the case for everyone um, because right. There's a limited amount of jobs and um, unfortunately budget cuts happen and libraries tend to suffer. Um, so you don't know if a job will still be there five years from now. Uh, I'm really lucky that Boston really supports its libraries and um, continues to put more money into libraries. Um, it's so great. Why would you not? You know, like <laughs> with all the dumb things that we spend money on governmentally, like how do you not want to spend money on just educating your population and, and giving them uh, a an outlet and like a free uh, entertainment and, and just like good vibes and stuff like that. Yeah. That I mean, just... I think a lot of the people who it, it's hard to come out and say you're against libraries. Right. But like people who don't <laughs> necessarily support putting more money towards libraries oftentimes don't understand what happens there. So you list kind of the things that I was mentioning before, like we do music lessons, we do book clubs, we do science projects, like, it's not something that they considered. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, sorry. So back to the job hunt. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice that was given to us in grad school, um, kind of it capped off almost every class was be ready to move 
in search of a job. So mm, interesting. Yeah. Don't be, don't like, hopefully it works out for you, but it's not necessarily going to happen that you find a full-time job in the city where you want to be. So I know a lot of librarians who end up doing kind of two part-time jobs um, while they continue a search for full-time work. Okay, so you jumped the gun a little bit there, Maggie, because the, the last question that I Sorry. ask everyone on the show is, is what advice they would give someone that wanted to become a librarian. So you'll have to think of something else. So in addition to Great. be ready to not necessarily live where you want to live, uh, what other advice would you give someone? Um, I'd say just make sure that you're staying aware of what's happening in the world. And I think that's going to be the best way to inform your practice as a librarian. So I think... The heart of librarianship is providing service to people. We are service workers. And I think that not being, not staying abreast of um, news, trends in literature, kind of the wide world in general, means that you aren't able to incorporate that into the service that you provide. So if you're not um, staying aware of conversations happening around what kind of books are being published, you're not necessarily going to be able to provide a diverse range of books to the kids that you're seeing. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, and like you want to make sure that you're not giving every kid you see a list of books. This is getting so specific to children's librarianship, but <laughs> um, you want to make sure that you're giving them books that reflect the world at large. And unless you yourself are aware of what's happening, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, librarianship continues to be a predominantly white profession, and it is so easy to default to books by white authors that reflect white experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not, those are not just the kids that you see. Um, you need to be able to reflect a wide range of experiences because you are, in many ways, um, a gateway to the wider world for so many kids. So it's so that's why it's so important uh, to be able to do that. I love it. That is a great piece of advice. Um, Maggie, this has been so interesting and awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.